welcome to Tish and Piffle, the Random Thoughts on a Theme podcast. I think though we are slightly dignifying the entire exercise by pretending what we're doing merits an actual proper description. We were originally thinking of going for one and done, retiring undefeated, and I did like the sound of that, but we were amazed, frankly, that we managed to get the car out the garage, start it, and then drive wheezing and spluttering all the way to the finish line. And so the four of us are once again behind the wheel. I'm Derek. The others are Dave, Alice and Sean. I was going to start by asking what kind of week we've had. But be honest, did any of you actually think we'd be back on podcast number two? Oh, I fully believe that we'd be back uh, doing podcast number two after our amazing first episode last week that obviously got thousands and thousands of downloads across the world. Derek, can you confirm? Mm, mm, I think 250. That's good enough for me. Um, 0.25 of a thousand, so... Getting there. All over the world, though. I mean, Egypt, Romania, 50 people in the United States who really couldn't have had a lot to do last week. I'm really pleased. I thought we were going to be a one-hit wonder, to be honest. It's great. And I've had loads of great feedback from my mum and my nan and my mum and my (laughs) nan. (laughs) That's objective critical analysis, then. Yeah, definitely. Yes, I mean, let's face it, we've got nothing better to do, have we? So even if nobody's listening, we'll all just uh, while away some time chatting to each other. And talking about whiling away that time then, what have you all been up to? Um, I've had quite a boring week, I would say. I have literally been watching paint dry to pass the hours um, because I've been upgrading the fence in our garden by painting it a different colour. So uh, that's been the highlight of my week. What so what colour was it, what color, uh, and no, what colour is, is it now? Oh, so it was a kind of a grey kind of colour, quite weathered, I would say, and it's now a chestnut brown, according to the tin. Um, it looks quite nice, actually, although I'm, uh, I've got three fences to go, and I've now run out of paint. Perhaps this could be an additional section of the uh, podcast website featuring the um, fence paint colour. <laughs> I'll just do you a little time-lapse video people can watch at their leisure maybe a maybe a live as I uh, upgrade every week I mean I I get a bit anxious when people ask me what I've been up to because I feel like I need to come up with an interesting answer when the reality of it is that I haven't been doing anything I haven't been doing anything I've been doing any baking I haven't been doing any you know life improvement I've just been existing but I think that's fine well, I was very excited this week because uh, when you had the question and I was thinking, well, what, what can I possibly say? Look, we actually had an interesting thing happen at the marina that, uh, that my boat is moored in. We had a socially distanced VE Day party on whichever afternoon it was, Friday. And we all, you know, stayed several metres away from each other, shouting pleasantries and eating sandwiches. It was very nice. That sounds great. Actually, I did do one thing. I managed to open a jar of beetroot that's been sat in the back of my cupboard for months that no one's been able to open. And I managed to open it this week, so I actually get to eat some beetroot. That's probably the highlight of my week. It, was it yeah, still yeah. in date, though, when you opened it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it doesn't go out of date until 2021, so I've got a whole year to eat it still, which is good because it's a massive jar of beetroot. We're going to we're gonna have to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely back for podcast number three. <laughs> or not. Although we live in different places and we're different ages, different people really, one thing unites our merry band. We are all journalists 
And that's a word or a profession that many people think they understand or have a take on. But, you know, they don't because it's a mask with so many faces. For every staunch defender of truth, there is a shocking liar. For every social justice warrior, there's a loafer and a chancer. And somewhere in between are the ragged ranks of eggheads, potheads, flouncers, pouters, needy writers, dogged doorsteppers, power drinkers, virtue signalers, grief junkies, libertine men and scarlet women, and the shameless, dear me, the shameless, all sharing the same crowded house. So why don't we talk this week all things media? I'm really interested to know, each of you, why did you all want to be journalists when you could have been organ grinders, bus drivers or haberdashers? Well, I don't claim to be a journalist, as I mentioned briefly uh, in the podcast edition number one. I am nothing more than a fraudster. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned that in your long list there, but I, I've i never really been a journalist. I've never wanted to be a journalist. I'm antisocial. I don't like people and I don't want to listen to their stories. But somehow... I found myself falling into that career through having a reasonably good broadcasting voice. But now I'm out of it, I can confess I had no interest in any of it. <laughs> I'm sure you're more qualified than most of them. Who else has got a view? Um, I became a journalist because I wanted to be rich, famous and travel the world. And I have done none of those things so far. <laughs> um, so I think that maybe I should choose a different career. I mean, I became a journalist because... Well, I don't know really. When I was at school, I used to just get told <laughs> off... <laughs> when I was at school, I used to just get told off for talking all the time. So I thought that, you know, because I've got quite a lot to say, I could just um, go and write some stuff, really, and I could go and talk about some stuff. Um, but act- and then, actually, I sort of started getting into journalism, started doing some writing, and then I actually realised that most of it, you have to listen to people rather than talk. So that kind of defeated the whole object of it. But uh, it's quite fun, really. I think it's just the getting to know people, isn't it? And it's sort of telling their stories, and it's getting into the little bits of the world that other people don't necessarily get into that's what i think is really but people are awful though aren't they once you get to know them it's not so much people are awful but they do like to go on because quite often once i've done the story i'm amazed by how much people want to keep talking about the subject when really i just want to go home that's what i like because you can just write a little bit about them or whatever the story is and then it's the end of the story isn't it just go on to the next my, one. My issue was always that um, I was sent out on stories that always sounded really exciting on paper. And then when you arrived, you realised that it wasn't really a story. But because you had so little time in the day to fill the programme, you needed to get something out of it, regardless of what you were going to you were going to get from the person you were interviewing. So um, I always find that's probably the most exciting bit of the job, really, is having to make something out of nothing. I always remember coming back from one of those and saying, oh, it might make a little piece at the weekend and they'd say oh it's the lead story tonight with a live <laughs> I had a similar thing one Christmas where they sent me out to the middle of Canterbury High Street and I looked at my assignment sheet and it said Christmas shopping that was the entire brief and when I later <laughs> phoned to say well, no, w- w- where's this going in the programme and they did in fact do as you just suggested they said, it's the top story I thought David you were going to say you did all your Christmas shopping phoned the news desk and told them that you'd completed it and what was your next assignment <laughs> I 
I worked overseas for a while where there were some very serious and professional journalists, but also people absolutely just blagging it and winging it with no background in the job. And unlike you, Dave, no ability at all. And they passed themselves off as stringers, which is or was a word for tipping off papers and TV and radio about a story, filing a few sentences. And if you were lucky, you might get a few words in print. And I do remember there was this one guy called Michael. I won't say his real name. I'll say Cooper. That's not his real name, though. So don't sue us, Michael Cooper, if you're a distinguished journalist, please. And he'd gate crash like proper press conferences with government officials and stuff. And he'd he'd stand up and ask questions. And once he put his hand up and stood up and said, Michael Cooper from the BBC. And this woman at the front turned around and said, Oh, you're not from the BBC. I'm from the BBC. And he gave her this look of complete withering contempt and turned back round to the government spokesman and said, Michael Cooper, the Daily Mail. And I thought, what gall, what gall, Michael, to stand there in front of about 50 proper journalists and say, Michael Cooper from frickin' whoever is in here. So do you agree with me that journalism attracts some very strange types? Well, what can I say? I mean, how did we meet, Derek? We actually met when we were uh, at a court trial, didn't we? Reporting on the same court trial, and that's... That's actually how we became friends. So I think that says it all, really, doesn't it? That that was a lorry driver who inexplicably, and by that I mean nobody ever came up with an explanation, just sort of ploughed his lorry through a busy street full of cars and people, and miraculously nobody died. And he came out of that first hearing just grinning from ear to ear. Do you remember? Yeah. And yeah. there was also a person there, I don't know who it was, who was probably the biggest person I've ever seen in my life. And all I actually remember was just that bloke sweating all the time. Uh, (laughs) And when the guy finally came up for his proper trial, he'd gone from thinking it was quite funny to being really indignant. And I was sort of hiding in the bushes trying to film him. And he gave me the finger. When he came out, and I thought, well, really? Oh, yeah, I remember that. You could actually. And you thought, I'm really glad that I decided to do this glamorous career. Must have been a viewer. (laughs) One of your top fans there, Derek. It's absolutely not glamorous. That was was the other thing I was going to say, actually, that half the time it's a scrum and a bum fight, and people just don't want you there. I don't know whether that's funny or not, but it's been the truth for me. Yeah, I mean, how many times do you think you've been told to F off? in your uh, in your career quite a lot but i've only been punched once um <laughs> and actually it was by a woman and i kind of wish it had been a man because it would have sounded a bit more heroic and i was on a local paper and we were just checking out um what well, we were checking out an arson on a some shed somewhere in a wood and honestly there's not a lot of news where i was working <laughs> on this paper what i was, was with a paper? lovely bloke called dave McHugh. i still see sometimes and all oh, we always talk about it and we knocked on this door and said, do you know who owns that shed that's burned down? And, and this woman answered the door and said, oh, no, no idea. Closed the door. She seemed friendly enough. So we went to check it out. And the next thing I know, she just turned into this complete red-eyed monster and said, I told you not to go uh, and, and check out what happened to the shed, which she didn't. And then she just punched me, rabbit punched me in the head. I went down on one knee, but, but I, I, didn't, I didn't fall over. Um, um, you went down on one knee and proposed. Yeah, that's what I you thought you were going to say. Yeah. <laughs> the you were so shocked, you just had to marry her. It was the shock of having my ass kicked by a woman that just—I almost—I almost hit the ground. Well, that's but blatantly not... sexist, Derek. 
Well, that's what, you know... There are many women that I'm sure could uh, floor you, Derek, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) That could be episode four. We could line them up. But, you know, it wouldn't have been as bad if it was Anthony Joshua, but it wasn't. It was a fat woman. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, I think that sums up, really, doesn't it? (laughs) Not journalists are strange, but maybe not as strange as some of the general public. Can we go back to um, our first attempt then? Um, Sean, you said a few things, but seriously, has, has anybody had any feedback? Only a tweet or two saying, you know, jolly good. That's about it. Because I've had a little bit of feedback. Uh, basically, remember we were talking about clapping for heroes and Alice, you were saying how moved you were from that. Mm. And, and I kind of grabbed onto your coattails by saying that I was very moved as well. But my neighbour has asked me to point out that I've not actually attended any of the clapping for heroes <laughs> in the street and have stayed indoors. So as we're talking about truth, justice, the fourth estate and journalism, I thought I'd better just admit that. Uh, to be fair, though, I am thinking, how many weeks are we going to clap? But when does it when does it end? Are we just going to clap every week now? I have a friend who's quite senior in um, the NHS and she assures me that it is very moving and touching and it is it is appreciated. So, yes, you will damn well clap uh, for the next however many months it is. Yes, I would I would like to clap continuously, I think, for the rest of my life. Um, and I've also liked to encourage Derek to do the same um, and lead every single clap on his street now from, from here on in, I think, to make up for the fact that he hasn't attended any of the others. And if Derek's neighbours are listening to this, perhaps that... Uh, two minutes to eight on a Thursday, they could bang on his door with a long pole to remind him to come out. I am actually as appreciative of their endeavours as anybody else. I just have been doing something else every eight o'clock that day. Probably editing this podcast. I have had some more feedback. Somebody accused me of adding laughter to my funny stories. And they said, how come, how come after your stories, both Sean and Alice laugh separately? But I swear to goodness, everybody, that happened. I didn't add it in afterwards. Do you know what you didn't add in, though? You, what you actually cut out, which made me quite sad, was all my funny jokes um, that definitely weren't in there. So uh, I've got a bit of a bone to pick with you oh, on yeah. that one. I, I definitely did lots of funny jokes that were cut out as well, yes. Yeah, I think Derek just wanted to make himself look the funniest, to be honest. Oh, I get it now. Right, yeah. OK. Mm. Bit awkward. You don't... The other reason I quite fancy doing a podcast is that somebody said to me, oh, oh, did you do them because you love podcasts so much? And there are some brilliant podcasts, but I was more inspired by the fact that there are some really awful ones out there. Now, admittedly, I've been listening to sort of sci-fi TV podcasts and that, but there was one where, honestly, these guys could not even have flogged Drain Cleaner and they had a proper podcast. And I think we're doing a bit better than that. Court's one of the few places where I feel righteous. I say this because Court's the place where you receive generally the highest level of indignation for being a journalist and being present in the moment. Sometimes this includes outright threats. And I always used to think, mate, I wouldn't be here if you hadn't glassed that bloke in a pub. So perhaps you should direct your rage 
within. And I'm just wondering if any of you have been in places where people just really wish you weren't there. I can imagine you saying that to them in that tone as well. In your piece to camera. (laughs) (laughs) But no, actually, the funniest thing that happened to me in court, which was really silly, was I was at a magistrate's court uh, just on somebody contesting a driving charge of having no insurance or something. And he was asked to produce his driving licence. And he said, look, I'm really sorry. It was in the trousers that I washed last week and I put in the washing machine. And this is all that's left of it. And he sort of picked up this what looked like a raggedy bit of tissue and he handed it to the court clerk and the court clerk just looked at it and said, uh, Mr. Magistrate, I can confirm it's a clean licence. Very good. <laughs> that's brilliant. And that's real laughter. I'm not editing onto one of my jokes. Go on, Sean. I was going to say, my favourite thing about uh, court is um, when you go to court and you report on these uh, people doing these terrible things and then they've got some kind of partner who stands there and just sort of supports them through the whole thing. And also they've done something absolutely terrible and yet they've got someone there supporting them. You just think, why? It's crazy. I'd stand there thinking, for God's sake, they've got a girlfriend. Why haven't I? You don't want to be a gangster's mole, though. What do I have to do? What do I have to do? <laughs> yeah, but that's because they go for the, the, the bad guys, for the for the nasty guys, Dave, and you don't want to okay. be that. No, I, I'll take that up happily if that's what it takes. <laughs> I um, The weirdest thing I find about court is all the kind of rules around, like, what you have to wear and kind of when you have to stand and stuff. Like, I, the first time I went, I thought we were playing, like, a weird game of kind of musical chairs when kind of the judge, every time the judge comes in, you have to stand up and then you have to wait and sit down again and then stand up again and sit down. And um, the strangest story that I heard, not me personally, but a friend of a friend, actually got thrown out of a case um, because he walked in and he was wearing jeans and the uh, the judge didn't think that was very good practice. So he actually chucked him out uh, of the trial. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very odd place. Um, but I kind of feel a little bit privileged that we, we get to go in our job because, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people, or hopefully a lot of people won't have spent time in a, in a courtroom. So it's quite an interesting experience, really. This week, some of the lockdown restrictions here in England are being lifted, just some of them, and we must all be responsible, of course, and follow the rules. But now there's some light, we hope, at the end of the tunnel. What are you going to do when you can go a bit further afield? I might do something wild and reckless like run naked through a cornfield. Oh dear. Alice, can you take our mind away from that image? Yeah, I don't know what to say to that. I don't know how I'm going to follow that one, really. Um, I was going to do something a little bit less radical. Um, I'm going to adopt a dog, hopefully, because... Um, I think it's nice to have an animal in your life and um, I've been thinking about doing it for a while and I think lockdowns made me think why not do it as soon as the restrictions are eased. It's not just for lockdown though, it's for life. Yeah, that's what I'd like to uh, (laughs) to reiterate. I've been thinking about it for a while and the dog will have a home for life. Dave, do you think you could have a cat or a dog on a narrow boat or does it freak them out if you just, not you, but like other boaters, just are somewhere different every day? Do you know, I'm just wishing I'd gone with a dog. That would have been a better answer, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, lots of narrow boaters have pets, cats and dogs. And surprisingly, the cats are quite happy to 
uh, be moved and they associate the boat as their home, not the place where it's moored. And dogs, of course, are just happy, goofy animals that will be happy as long as you're happy. Do you know, they just love you, don't they, dogs? You don't have to do anything about it. Just feed them and be nice to them. I kind of wish people were like that as well. Hey, that's such a good line, Derek. Well done. Why don't we just finish the whole pod there? (laughs) Uh, You haven't said what you were going to go and do. I just really like swimming in the sea. I know that's really dull, but I live about an hour away from the sea and I've been petrified of being arrested driving down the motorway. Um, And I don't want to join that big sort of gaggly group of lawbreakers so once i'm allowed to yeah i'd like to go swimming in the sea the great unwashed that's who they are let's face it sounding more like dave every day (laughs) yeah you do sound increasingly more bitter as these ones go on (laughs) well again we got lucky and finished just about all together here so all that's left to say is goodbye cheerio See you next week. Tish and Piffle is Sean Elvin, Alice Key, Dave Johns and Derek Johnson. It's a tied up with sticky tape and a bit of string kind of production, isn't it? Let's face it. We may be back or frankly, we might not bother. But hey, in the meantime, thanks for listening. <laughs>